we're in this spot here in Romans chapter 3, verses 21 through 31. And, and Paul, the, the writer who's writing to this incredible church in Rome that the, it, we, we read, everybody in the known world is hearing about this church and what is going on. And, um, and Paul's writing to them. And what he's just gone through is a really difficult section of scripture. For those of you that have been here the last three, four weeks, you're like, yes, it has. Um, because we've just been walking through all of the reasons why we aren't qualified to receive salvation. Like, like literally, it's like week after week we've walked through and it's like, oh man, oh, well, that's me. Ah, shoot, you know? And, and some weeks it's like, oh, that's them? Totally not me. And even in those weeks, that's my pride, right? Um, but we, we've kind of gone through this process where Paul has systematically eliminated any right we may feel we have to be righteous before a perfect and holy God. And whenever we say righteous, it means right standing. And, and, and so none of us could be good enough. All of us have sinned. All of us have failed. Uh, and all of us are, are still struggling in, in so many different ways. And so Paul has highlighted whether you are the most religious, moral person ever, you're still in that camp. Whether you are here and you're not even sober right now and you're struggling and you just did, who knows, last night, he goes, you're in the same place. Whether you have got anger issues, whether your minds and your thoughts are, are totally against all these different things, whether it's pride related, he's addressing all of it. And, and he's saying, none of us could measure up. And so there's this like guilt feeling that I, I have with that. But then there's also this like, oh, we're all, we're all in the same place. And so then he addresses uh, his audience after going through all of that. And he says this in verse 21. He says, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction for all sinned and have fallen short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Okay, okay, so after going through uh, all these reasons why we, we cannot save ourselves, Paul begins with these two powerful words in verse 21. And we're all just like, ha. Ah. He says, but now. So after describing our, 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 our sinful condition, he tells us God's response. And what is God's response? God has intervened to rescue us from his holy wrath. God's saving power has invaded the world in the coming of the Messiah. The life, the death, the resurrection, and ascension of Jesus has changed absolutely everything. When you think about before Jesus came, what hope did people have, right? It's essentially waiting for judgment. 
right? It's like, I know I'm not good enough. Man, I know I've fallen short. So I'm just waiting for judgment. You know, it's kind of like, uh, I've shared this before as a kid. If, if I was really not behaving well, which rarely occurred, um, my, my mom would then kind of just be like, all right, that's enough. And then she would say, you know what? I'm not gonna punish you. Your dad's gonna punish you when he gets home. And that was like the worst thing she could ever, ever say to me, right? Because then the rest of the day, I know the hammer's coming. Like, it, it, I'm getting it, right? Like, it's gonna be bad. And, and then all day, I'm like imagining, is he gonna be home early? Like, what, what's gonna happen, right? And, and I feel like so often when it comes to Christianity, some of us live like that. Our view of God is like that. Like, every day, you know, we're, we're just like, he's waiting to deliver the final blow. You know, and, and we're at church, but we're at church and we're like, is this okay? Is this good enough? And what Paul's been saying is, no, it's not good enough. And because of all the sin that we all have, we, we all stood awaiting this, like, just judgment. And yet, God says, but now everything's changed. I've seen you. I've seen your sins. I've seen you at your worst. And even in spite of it all, I have sent Jesus to save you. And so Christ has done what we could never have done for ourselves. And we see this theme carried out throughout these verses, this theme of righteousness that we've been talking about. And once again, righteousness is having right standing with God. And the question that he's responding to is, how in the world can we be right with God? How? How can we? And so what he says is we can, by faith in Christ, we are made right before God. We are justified. We are given a righteousness that we couldn't have ever earned. We're given it. In, in Philippians 3, 9, uh, it says, and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. And, and, and so because of what Jesus has, come, uh, has done, um, we are given this righteousness, right? Uh, it's a righteousness, it's a right standing with God. And, and Paul emphasizes uh, in the passage, he says, this is apart from the law. Uh, in other words, that this right standing with God, it cannot be earned. You can't do enough good things. You can't uphold the complete standards of the law. And, and then he references how the law and the prophets spoke to this. And when, when he's highlighting that, he's saying, essentially, the Old Testament has proclaimed the same gospel message. You know, during Advent time, uh, we, we talk about, you know, the, the uh, anticipation of the arrival of the Savior. And during that time, we always preach on and we use verses where the Old Testament tells us about the coming Savior, tells us about Jesus. It prophesizes about it, right? And, and so what Paul is saying here is, is listen, old and new, it's, it's telling you the same message of the gospel. It's all pointing to Jesus. Like the message didn't change. Like Jesus wasn't like option B. He was always the plan and the perfect and the best plan to save you and me. And, and, and so ever since the foundation of the world, like God knew this is the plan, this is how we're going to do it. And so Paul then, he teaches us that our justification comes, it says, by God's grace 
as a gift. Wow. Our justification or, or our righteousness, our right standing, it comes by God's grace as a gift. You know what's so amazing about this when it comes to righteousness or, or even justification? Uh, it's, it's not just that he has forgiven me for my past or my present circumstances, my sins. It's not just that. Like, it's not like, oh, you have a clean slate, Steve. Let's try it again, right? Like, that, that's not what it is. Sometimes we treat it like that. All right, I'm just forgiven, you know? Well, you needed a little more than just being forgiven, okay? Uh, me being forgiven doesn't mean yet that I'm accepted, right? But justification, righteousness, what that word means is I'm not only forgiven, not only are my sins taken as far as the east is from the west, Scripture says, but I am actually then rewarded as well. I am given a right standing with a perfect and holy God. And, and so it's not just, hey, your sins are, are taken, they've been paid for, but now you also are gifted this incredible righteous standing to where now I can stand before God and he accepts me. He accepts me. He welcomes me. He invites me into his family. And what I love about this is, is we see this salvation, this gift of God's grace. We, we see how it's given freely. What's crazy, I mean, we've received the gift of salvation, this right standing, this justification that happens. We're, we receive it in the same way we receive a gift. And, and what he's highlighting for us once again is Salvation is not about trying harder or doing more. Some of us in this room or watching online, we are living out our Christian walk like we think the more we do or the harder we try, the more God will love us, the more he'll accept us. And, and, and what we totally miss out on, and then we take faith and we use this word faith and then we attach it to that whole belief, that whole theology, essentially, that we're living out of, right? Like, so now my faith, uh, when, when we read about faith here, my faith in my mind is about conquering the hill. My, my faith now is, is about what I can achieve for God, right? Uh, what mountains I can move, right? All these things now are how I look at faith. And yet Paul kind of Turks takes, Turks, <laughs> takes, takes our view and belief of faith and he turns it upside down, doesn't it? Because what he's doing here is he's removing the temptation you and I will always battle with, which is taking ownership and celebrating our faith. I, I am amazed at how tempted I am to look at my faith and go, wow. And what Paul is saying here is the faith that, that, that is a part of salvation is not about accomplishing anything. The faith that he is talking about is a receiving faith. It's the faith to actually receive the grace of God. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, it says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. Everybody say, not your own doing. 
There we go. You're good. Let's pray, right? Uh, it is the gift of God, not a result of work so that no one may boast. Like, so my faith, where, where my faith is demonstrated in salvation is in my willingness to receive the free gift of God's grace. That's amazing, right? And, 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 and if it's not in that, then it means that I had something to do with it and therefore I would have reason to boast in myself. And Paul is saying, you don't have any room to boast. There's nothing you have to boast about. This, your faith is, is you receiving it. And so, and he's going to talk about boasting uh, at the end of this chapter. But you guys, saving faith is demonstrated. I want to hit this again and again in receiving, not in achieving. And it's not even demonstrated in just believing. In fact, in uh, James 2.19, we read that the demons believe. So sometimes we tell people, oh, you just got to believe. And they're like, I do. There's more. And this invitation to respond, I love how he says, it is for all. There is no distinction. You guys hear that? There's no distinction. Some of us have felt like there is a distinction about who's qualified, how, how much of my life needs to be fixed before I can receive. I, I have these conversations with people all the time. And... And, and oftentimes, this is how their response is. Well, I'm not yet ready. And I'm like, okay, um, so what needs to happen? And, and oftentimes, as I dig in a little bit, it has nothing to do with their understanding of the gospel message. And, and it has everything to do with the, well, I guess it is connected to their understanding of the gospel. But in their mind, they have to first not struggle with this. They have to first be able to do that. They have to first be able to know that. And, and, and so often we take this view into what he invites us into. And, and, and literally what, what Paul is telling us is, is, listen, there is no distinction whether you are the smartest person in the room or, or not the smartest person in the room, whether you were doing all kinds of things and struggling this week, last night, last month, or you were reading your Bible every day, you know, every hour in, in prayer before the Lord. He's like, there is no distinction. God loves all of you. And he invites you into the saving relationship with him. And he says, just in case you forgot your need for that, he throws in Romans 3.23, doesn't he? Which says what, right? For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. He's like, hey, just in case you're starting to think you're pretty special. We have all fallen short. Like none of us are worthy, right? And, and so we've got to ask, how can there be a righteousness of God and a righteousness from God? Like how can a just God justify justifying me before him? How can that be? And he says, I'm glad you asked. It is through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. You guys, you're gonna, you're gonna see redemption all throughout Paul's writings, all throughout the New Testament, this term redemption. And it's this picture, it had this picture 
carried with it of, of the release of prisoners of war who, who they had to pay for to get released or slaves that were released through a, um, a payment. And whenever redemption, this word is used in the Old Testament, uh, the picture was always Exodus, the, the Exodus, where, where God intervened and rescued his people out of slavery in Egypt. And what we see in the New Testament, when we see redemption being used, uh, it, it's, our need is actually magnified, right? Like, like we are very uh, aware uh, how we are enslaved in so many ways to, to sin. It's like this thing, I keep struggling with it, I keep doing it, I keep, I keep falling back into it, right? So we're enslaved to that. We're enslaved to um, what that means, the verdict of my sin, which is death. It's, it's, it's the wrath of God. Uh, and, and so I'm in desperate need of a new life, and yet I was left with this debt that I myself could never pay. And Paul says, freedom from that debt has arrived. In the death of Jesus on the cross, that price was paid. The father justifies his people through the work of his son. He redeemed us by presenting Jesus as a sacrifice of atonement. And so our freedom is connected to the work of Christ. He is the spotless Lamb of God, right? The, the sacrifice to pay for the sins in the Old Testament, the, the perfect sacrifice is this lamb, right? Without blemish. And, and so he is the spotless lamb of God. He paid the price so that you and I could go free. Uh, Galatians chapter four, verses four through seven, it says, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born to woman, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. This is unbelievable. And so here we are, like, I could have never paid uh, this. I could, I could have never paid the, the penalty. Uh, I was in debt way over my head, right? Some of you are in debt, and you're like, I don't know how I'm ever going to get out of this. There was a sin debt attached to my life. I could have never paid for it. And so my view of God was always what? It's like, oh, no, oh, no. Judgment's coming, right? And, and yet what we see is God seeing us in that sinful state, uh, seeing us in a place where we could never free ourselves from the penalty of that. And so what does he do? The father, he turns his face to us. He responds to us. He doesn't disown us. And not only does he see us, and, and see us not as like, oh, now I've got it together, or I figured it out, or now I'm going to walk with him. But no, no he says, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He, he sees us right now as is. He sees the condition of my heart. He sees uh, the hypocrisy. He sees the idolatry. He sees my struggles, all these things. And yet he still turned his attention towards us and has loved us in such a way that he willingly sent the son to come and to pay a penalty I could never, ever have paid. And it's through that that now, according to scripture, I am adopted into his family. 
I'm adopted into his family. So, so before that, whenever it was the father, <laughs> it was fear, right? It was like, oh no. And now, by the authority of scripture, through the transformation that happens, the power of the gospel in your life, when you receive that, now I have the spirit of the living God inside of me. When it comes to God, he's crying out in me, Father, Father, Father. I am connected to God now in a way I could never have before. And it transforms your view of God. It changes everything. The thought that he would send Jesus for you. And not only to purchase freedom, but to bring you in, to give you a new identity, a new purpose, a new family. And, and, and sometimes we're like, well, man, I was bought with a price. You guys, it was a great price that you were paid for. It was Jesus's death. That's the ransom. That's the cost. If you are sitting here wrestling with self-worth this morning, you need to hear and know that Jesus went to the cross to pay for you. I mean, Mark 10, 45, right? For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many, right? So the idea here of, and we see this word propitiation, it means satisfying the righteous wrath of God. In other words, the demands of that righteous wrath, they are met. It is no longer held against us. And so the Son bore the penalty from God and paid the price that we owed. He took our penalty. And not only did he take it, but Jesus satisfied the just demands of the law. And he bore the Father's wrath against sin. And not only did he take that upon himself for you and for me, but he also then reconciles you and I to the Father. So he satisfies the demands of the law. Jesus said, I I'm the fulfillment of the law. So he satisfies the demands. And, 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 and so he, he creates reconciliation with the wrath of God and the demands of that wrath. And then he just takes it on himself. And the second, he, he then offers to us this reconciliation that we are now able to have with the Father. And, and, and so you guys, what you need to know, if someone doesn't take our punishment, guess what? We're still under that wrath. I don't know why I said that with a smile. Like, you should, it's bad. Like, <laughs> it's not good, right? So, in fact, Jesus, uh, Jesus said in John 3, 36, he, he, he's, he's literally like, if, if you, some of you are not believing, and by not believing, that wrath is still on you. And, and so, what, what we need to know, whenever we say the word wrath in church, it's like, I knew it, ah, uh, you know? But what you need to understand is, is the wrath of God is not separate from his love. It's not separate from his righteousness. It's all connected. And so when we, we talk about the wrath of God, sometimes we have this view of just this like angry, out of control old guy that is up there and he's just like throwing lightning bolts, all kinds of stuff, wanting to execute us. And then Jesus is just like, hey dad, I'll do it. You know, uh, are you okay now? Like, no, the picture is so wrong. And we're like, oh, poor Jesus. His dad is so mad. You know, like, you guys, we totally get it wrong. You guys, uh, he didn't suffer 
because he had to for you. Jesus suffered because he loved his father and he loved you and me. Isn't that amazing to think about? Like Jesus, he could have turned aside. He could have said, I'm gonna do my own thing, right? And yeah, in, in, in the moment where he's experiencing all the temptations, all the desires to, to quit, like, like you and I would be struggling with, right? We would understand and know, hey, we're talking about an execution here. We're talking about the, a form of punishment that, that Rome had perfected to bring the maximum amount of pain. And, and Jesus knows that's what's in front of him. And yet he went because of the joy that was before him. He endured the cross. Uh, we know that he said, yet not my will, but Father, your will be done. And so what we see with Jesus is, 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 is a savior who could have turned aside, but he chose not to because he loved his father so much and because he loved you so much. And so love and justice both motivated his work on the cross. God didn't set his justice aside. He turns it towards himself, towards the son. The cross doesn't represent a compromise between God's wrath and his love. It satisfied each fully in the very same action on the cross. The wrath and the love of God were both demonstrated and expressed perfectly. And so whenever we go, man, is he a just God? Man, is he a loving God? You guys, you go to the picture, to the image of the cross. And what you need to see is that justice and love are perfectly fulfilled and demonstrated in one moment at the cross. And so salvation declares unrighteous people righteous through faith in Christ's atoning work. And so it's not just a declaration of righteousness, it is a demonstration of righteousness through the work on the cross that God has vindicated his own righteous character and at the same time bestowed this righteous status that he gives sinners like you and I. In, in 2 Corinthians 5.21, it says, for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus is the only one who could do that. And he represents us as he takes our punishment and then he represents God in giving us perfect righteousness. Paul adds then uh, that God in his divine forbearance passed over the sins previously committed. And, and he's alluding to the Old Testament here. And, and it's like, how in the world could God possibly tolerate the sins that people committed before the cross, right? Like, like how? Um, and, and what we need to remember here when it makes the statement that God did punish people in the Old Testament. I mean, have you read the Old Testament? <laughs> right? Like, like so when it, when it says that here, it's not like, oh, he's like, hey, whatever, do what you want to do, Old Testament. No, Old Testament was jacked up. And, and he's like, all right, I'm going to punish you. And, and his punishment was very direct, right? Uh, and so, so he dealt, he punished, right? But what he's talking about here is he didn't exact the full penalty of those sins, right? Paul is showing us that 
um, much of what happened in the Old Testament was left unpunished until he punished those actions through his son on the cross. God, in his patience, had deferred payment on those sins. And so the sacrifices, the rituals in the Old Testament, they, they pointed to Christ. And so God was accepting them based upon the repentance uh, and, and, and their trust in him and his mercy. But he was accepting them based upon the future work of Jesus because Jesus was always the plan. Amen? And so even in the Old Testament, we see looking towards Jesus to bring that finality, to bring that full restoration, redemption. And then Paul ends in verses 27 through 31. He says, then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? By law of works? No, but by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Or is God the God of Jews only? See, not the God of Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also, since God is one. Who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith? Do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. Okay, so what Paul does here is he moves from explanation to implications in our lives. And the first thing he addresses here is the good news, the gospel, the saving work of what Jesus did for you and for me. It should humble us. It should humble us. Paul is literally asking the question, boasting? It's excluded, right? If Romans 3, 21 through 26 is true, what I just read earlier, if that's true, how in the world could anyone boast, right? How in the world could I, after reading that, go, wow, look at me. Like, God, you're welcome. You know, glad you get to have me, right? Like, no way. It's like, did I earn my salvation? No. Did I work for it? No. Uh, Am I righteous by myself? No way. And ask my family, they would all confirm that, right? Like, no way. Um, it, it, it's crazy that we think that way, right? I mean, I mean, it's like, um, goodness, it, it would be like literally a swimmer who's, who's swimming uh, in, in like the Pacific Ocean and, and they're swimming and, and, and they're drowning and, and, and a lifeguard comes out there and, and, and saves them. It would be like that swimmer who is drowning, whose life is saved, getting to the beach and they're like, how did it happen? Well, let me tell you about what I did, right? Like, no. No one brags when they've been saved, right? Why? Because that swimmer had depended, he was dependent on the lifeguard to save them. And what's crazy too is when you talk to uh, lifeguards at the ocean, they don't have them here because no one swims, but uh, it's freezing. But down in Southern California, they do. And, and if you talk to them, most of the time they have to get trained to fight back because the person who's drowning wants to fight their savior, And I'm like, oh, that's me. That's us. We will read the gospel and we'll still take it and go, "Uh uh-huh. Instead of just going, I'm so unworthy, God. I cannot believe 
what you have freely given me. So one of the signs that you truly grasp the gospel is that you give praise to who the praises do, which is God. You become a humbly grateful person. You recognize that the greatest gift that you have been given has been given as a result of grace. You didn't earn it. Uh, It came through a receiving faith. And Paul says himself, I will never boast in anything except in the cross. He says, Galatians 6.14, he says, but far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Paul, Paul's like, boasting? There is no way that you have any room or right to boast. You didn't have anything to do with this. The only thing I can boast in is the cross. That's it. That is the only thing that I can boast in. And so, you guys, um, when I see people, especially when they're both Jesus followers, treating each other in a way that is so against God's word, talking about each other in such a way that is so against God's word. And, 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 and I see that stuff going on. I go, wow, have we gotten to the place where we're presenting and preaching the gospel but not receiving it anymore? Because when you receive and understand the gospel, you are humbled. There's no place for me uh, and my ego in the gospel message. There's no place. There's no room. It's either all him or it's all me. And guess what? We already know the verdict on the all me side. It's a, it's a train wreck, right? It's a mess. It's, it's no peace. It, there's no fruit of the Spirit coming out of that, right? There's just my best day or my worst day, right, in that. But there's still this disconnect because I know that, that there's something greater. There's something more. And, and, and yet Jesus met us in that space. Remember, I was distanced. I was disconnected. I couldn't earn it. There was a debt attached to my life. And Jesus came for me. The Father turned. That's why Paul starts in verse 21. He's like, but, let me tell you what happened. Yeah, you were over there, but God didn't turn away. He turned towards you. And he still dealt with sin. And so just maybe... There is a call here for us to humble ourselves in relation to each other. Second, the good news is the basis of our Christian unity. Uh, All humans are saved the same way and are therefore united in the gospel. So if, if, you know, and he uses these examples here, like if the Jews could attain salvation in some super special way, there'd be a separation. But he's like, they can't right? Uh, Literally the cross, he's saying it destroys any desire for discrimination. Just destroys it, right? Uh, In in verse 30, Paul says that God will justify both by faith. Jew, Gentile, doesn't matter. He justifies both by faith. And so for any of us that have felt like certain people are more qualified, uh, closer to him, or, or they're farther off, you guys, the ground at the cross is level. We are all there. We are all like, I mean, you know, some of us think we're, eh, I'm a little better than, like, no, we are all there, all unqualified, just in case we forgot. It's like, hey, Romans 3.23, check it out, you know. All have fallen sin, all have fallen short, so we're there. It's all level, and, and we're just there in need of a Savior. And he says, listen, if there's anything in you that, that is like, oh, me, them, 
them, me, that, he's like, gone. Nobody's more qualified. And so he's saying the gospel should change everything about you. It should change your vertical relationship with the Father and it should change the relationships that you have with other people. And so in verse 31, then Paul says, uh, and, and, and we kind of feel like he's gonna go the opposite way, but in verse 31, he says, we uphold the law. And you're like, what? But what does he mean here? He's saying not as a way to earn salvation, but what he's saying is that the cross which makes salvation possible, it doesn't nullify the law, it confirms it. He's like, all of you are like, oh, well, the cross, so I don't even know. Remember, Jesus said, I'm the fulfillment of the law. Uh, if, if the law didn't matter, Jesus didn't need to go to the cross, right? What was he paying the penalty for? Right? And so we need to understand that the cross actually confirms the law because it sends us to Jesus for salvation and it required Jesus to go to the cross for your salvation. And so Paul's like, no, 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 we confirm uh, the law. We see the penalty of that. And also uh, what this does is it opposes any view that some people will have, and some do, I pray you don't, where it's like, I receive salvation, which means I can do whatever I want. Right? Ah, the law, that was great for them, great then. But like today, I'm under grace, Steve. When, every, when anyone says I'm under grace, I cringe. I just go, oh no, what are you doing? Like, what are you doing? I mean, there's a prayer room back there, just go. Like, you know, like, I'm just under grace, Steve. Well, mm, yeah, you are. You, yeah. And what he is doing is saying without any... Like you, you can't receive salvation and then just go, ah, oh, I just want to continue now on doing what I want. Like, no, the spirit of God who's inside of you empowers you and draws you into obedience to the will of the Father, to the law, right? Like, like so, so the spirit of God inside of you is going to empower you now in ways you couldn't before to fulfill that, to uh, live that out. And so that is an important, important thing that he's going to continue on in the book of Romans. And so here's what I want to kind of close us with today. If you're not a Christian, when I say Christian, uh, we use that term all over the place. If you are somebody that has never received Jesus as your Lord and Savior by faith, if you've never done that, I pray that you see your need today. And I pray that you see God's response to your need. And I'll pray, I pray that you would today make a decision to place your faith and your hope and trust in Jesus and in him alone to be your savior. He went to the cross for you. And by what he did, he accomplished victory on your behalf, victory over sin, over death, and provided a way for you to have right standing with God. And you are adopted into his family, a new name, a new identity, transformed for all of eternity. And so if you've never made a decision to receive him, I pray that during our closing time, you just ask him in your heart. You say, God, I, I surrender, I submit, I need you. There is a solution to your greatest problem. And it's an invitation for all of us.
The next is for those of you that say, well, I'm, man, I'm a Christian. I'm a Jesus follower. I made that decision. I want to I encourage you during our closing time here. Can, can you just take a minute and rest in his grace? Can you just like remember his grace and reflect on that and really receive that? This grace that met you in whatever type of situation or circumstance you were in. And, and I just want to encourage you to just praise him for that work. Praise him for that work. And then I want to tell you this. Take this good news to your family, to your coworkers, to your classmates, to your roommates. Take the good news. Share it. I, I, I'm blown away. Like, why do we keep our faith in the shadows? And I think a lot of it is because none of us really want to uh, stand out in culture right now, right? Because culture is so polarized and there's all these like names that we're trying to like not have labeled to us, right? And so we're afraid to, to, to share. We're afraid to, to, to do anything for God anymore, right? Because if I say this, they're going to think I'm with that person or that party or that situation and all of this. And so what happens is, we, you know, our friends, our people around us, our coworkers, they know we're related. Religious. They know we go to church. They may even know where we go to church. You may have even invited them, but that is still not the full invitation of, of, of what he's calling me and inviting me into. He said, I want you to bring the light of the gospel into that space. And so for me, it's like, man, if my faith is safe, if it's convenient, and I am not sharing about it, um, you guys, what am I doing? And I think that for the last 24 hours, that has tore me up. When I think of this young man who lost his life, it tears me up. And I'm like, why? Why do I have to get a message? Why do I have to, to see someone lose? Why does that have to be the driver? And so, I don't know. I'm just sick of being convenient with it, aren't you? If it really is the only thing that can save your life, what am I doing? And all they have to do is be willing to, by faith, receive it? Why? Why is it not worth sharing? There's too much at stake. It's been so cool uh, as my boys are like learning to share their faith. And, uh, and we had this fascinating conversation at the breakfast table um, about them sharing their faith. And, um, and as they've been walking with it, I'm like encouraging them like, you know, as their school. And, and, and one of them, the younger one, and it's so pure when they come back and talk about the things that they're dealing with. Uh, one of them, he, he comes back and we're talking about this and, and, they're, and they're literally saying, well, so-and-so doesn't believe in God. Uh, well, so-and-so said that there's no proof of Jesus. And, and I'm just like, oh, these are the best conversations ever. This is why I'm a parent. Oh, thank you, God. You know? And then my, my, the, my one child, he, he says, well, so-and-so says they believe in God, but they also told me that you can do that and that's okay. And I went, oh, and, and he, and he literally, it was so pure, like not at all. Like what's wrong with that? Like he was just like, he was confused. He's so pure. He's confused. He's like, they say that they believe in God and they, but then they said, this is okay. And that you can still do this. And, and I look at him, and I go, bud, that's how most of them are. 
that's how I have a job. Like, no, no, no. Like, you know, because they're, they're like, hey, what do you do? You go to church all the time. Like, you know what I mean? And, uh, and some of you asked that. So anyway, but I'm like talking to them and it was just so pure. And it was like this reality that like, that's where we kind of stay in, isn't it? It's like we just stay at this comfortable level and, and, and to a child, it doesn't even make sense, right? And yet it makes sense to us. No, it doesn't. No. It doesn't. It doesn't. So let's move forward, church. Let's move forward. Let's be passionate about our faith. Let's allow the gospel to humble us and continue to, to drop us at the cross and just cling to it, knowing that that was the only way we could ever, ever stand back up. And knowing that we have the spirit now as a result of salvation, the spirit of the almighty, powerful God inside of us, crying out, Abba, Father, you are connected. You are empowered. You have been called and you have been placed for this season, at this moment, for a specific reason and purpose and what are we waiting for? Amen? And so let's respond. Let me pray for us.